You're listening to the fourth season of the Prophetic Imagination Station, Frank Peretti's America. I'm D.L. Mayfield, a writer and neighbor. And I'm Crispin Mayfield, a therapist. Together, we like to overthink evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This season, we're doing a deep dive into Frank Peretti's best-selling novel, This Present Darkness. Thanks for listening. so excited about the interview today. Oh, I thought you were going to say you're so sad. Your sad and excited voice is exactly the same. I was looking at you beaming. No! Okay, try again. Okay. Really, really give us some excitement. In your voice! <laughs> In my voice? Uh-huh. Danielle, I'm so excited today. It's better. Is that better? It's creepy. <laughs> right. Okay, why are you so excited today, Chris? Because Ray? we're going to listen to an interview we did with Brad Jerzak. A long time ago, before we were sequestered to our houses in a different world. Like last week? Yeah. (laughs) When was this? This was like about a month ago or more. Probably two months ago. We interviewed Brad Jerzak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're going to be talking to him today about uh, demons and ministry of casting demons out of people. Isn't that called deliverance ministry? Isn't that like the Christianese way of saying... Casting out demons. Yeah, right. I was like, I know there's a term for it, but I'm just going to call it casting demons out of people. I feel like that grabs our listeners' attention better. Okay, but here's the deal. It's not like we reached out to Brad Jerzak because he used to have a deliverance ministry. That's true. Right? Yeah. I think we just kind of stumbled into that. Right. But we reached out to him because you're obsessed with him. Yes. And I had previously listened to a two-hour interview with him talking about, like, the theology of demons and angels. Okay. So I was like, we got to get... thoughts on it. Right, yeah. But I love Brad Jerzak, and, um, yeah, he's definitely someone that, like, saved my faith. Him and Padraig Tuma. Whoa, um, that's like a big... Right, yeah. To say. Him and Padraig Tuma and Doug Frank are probably some of the, like, during the, a particular period of my life, super significant. Brad has written, uh, he wrote a book called Her Gates Shall Never Be Shut about hell that has been really important to me. He wrote A More Christ-Like God, A More Beautiful Gospel, and then A More Christ-Like Way. So writing lots of great books. And we'll link to some of your favorite podcast interviews with him, right? Mm-hmm. And some of your favorite books. I've read most of A Christ-Like God, A More Christ-Like God, and it's really great. And mm-hmm. I'm really happy you introduced me to him. This conversation was really interesting. A part of his story, we can just sum up really quick, is that he comes from a few different uh, backgrounds. So he is familiar with evangelicalism, right? but he that's like, not all his story. What else? Yeah, he started out, I think, Baptist, then was like Mennonite, which was influenced by the Charismatic, um, and now is Eastern Orthodox. And one of the things that really has been most important to me about Jerzak is that he pastored a church for 20 years, and then his wife pastored after him for five years a church that really focused on people that are living in poverty, people with disabilities, people that are coming out of addiction and recovery. Yeah. Um, And really, that was like kind of the heart of their church was people that tend to be marginalized in society. And so that really built my trust in him. He wrote the book on hell after like 30 or 40 people in his congregation died in one year. Yeah. 
Um, so really like a lot of the like theology he's done has been out of like personal suffering and walking with those yeah. who are suffering. Yeah. So this is a really interesting interview. Uh, we are still on this uh, Frank Parady train. Crispin, mm-hmm. we got some more good interviews coming up. And then next week, we're going to try and drop an episode where you and I get to uh, talk a little bit about our thoughts on these interviews and get a little bit more into some timely stuff because the world has changed. Um, we are in the midst of a global pandemic, and we just want to acknowledge that. And it's a really weird time. I do think there are some uh, timely things to think about even as we listen to this interview, including how people, you know, view suffering, how they view prayer as an avenue to change the outcome. Uh, I was just with a neighbor today. I mean, I was six feet away, but helping deliver some flour. And they were just like, if I pray for you, you won't get sick. You won't get the Mm -hmm. sickness. And, you know, so Mm -hmm. just recognizing we, some of us just haven't really taken the time recently to think through how do we, think about spiritual forces how do we think about prayer how do we think god operates in the world and this is an interesting time to reflect on all that right as Mm -hmm. some mega churches are still holding services because they have faith that god will keep them well right yeah well at the same time have uh armed guards or like people with handguns because oh no you didn't crispin oh my gosh um also during this interview i was really inspired to think about like trauma-informed care and the therapist oh shocker right the therapist (laughs) in me was just really excited to talk about some of these things um so we'll probably double back at some point and discuss this episode and also just what we think demons are which would be fun yeah i think that'll be next week Mm -hmm. oh what a better (laughs) thing to do with our time right well we're stuck at home Let's talk about demons. So we hope you will join us next week, and I hope you enjoy the interview. So thanks so much for being here, Brad. And I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked our other guests, which is tell us a little bit about your background with Frank Peretti and this present darkness in particular. Okay. So um, when Frank Peretti's novels first came out, I, I, got them and I read them and I think you know my eyes were younger then I could do this kind of thing but like I went to bed reading the book and I I read it from cover to cover in one sitting and that meant like I read all night and I couldn't put it down so one thing I remember about it was was that he's a good storyteller and around that time I saw him um, live in Bellingham Washington and again, I saw what a good storyteller he was. Very compelling. Um, if we talk about my experience of that, I think many of us at the time were awakening, being awakened to, uh, I will call it a very primitive form of spiritual warfare. And so what he did was um, he, he introduced the ideal ideas that angels and demons uh, interact with our lives in, in this world. He had a fairly a literalist view of that, that, that angels are angels and demons are fallen angels, and they're at work. And I remember how much it was about uh, energizing the angels to help us. So our prayers would be like the battery that would energize the angels. And if, you're, if you didn't have enough people praying, or if they weren't praying hard enough, or if they were self-sabotaging their prayers through their lifestyle 
then um, the demons would be stronger than the angels and our side would lose. And what we would lose is often the culture wars. So it was also the culture wars coming to light. And um, I remember that that what Peretti was doing with that, um, it, it, of course, the uh, the title of the book, This Present Darkness, is a phrase that comes from Ephesians 6, where Paul says, look at our uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, it's about against spiritual forces of this present darkness. So really, Peretti was using his imagination to say uh, what that looks like from if you take Paul quite literally there. And I should say also at the time, this connected with um, with with spiritual warfare teachings that were permeating uh, our world through YWAM, for example. So you had YWAM teaching spiritual warfare. And then this also then developed at Fuller Seminary when Peter Wagner and John Wimber uh, did some course, courses there on signs and wonders. And Chuck Kraft began, was teaching there. And so what they would talk about was this, what they called the excluded middle. And what they meant was... Well, we believe in God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We believe in people, but there's this middle second heaven territory, they called it. The second heaven that is populated by angels and demons. And so what they were doing was trying to get us to interact with that. And my goodness, um, what a market. It became a bestseller. And I, I'm, I, it's not just because of the storytelling. I think there was a market for the kind of paranoia that came out of the out of the uh, culture wars and mm. also market for, for fear, which like we love to, to face fear and to face our fears in the context of um, like of something that we have control over, like a horror movie or Christian B <laughs> horror genres uh, in, in novels. So, I experienced all of that. I felt like I was waking up to this excluded middle. I felt like, um, the demonic thing was re reality. I remember then uh, engaging in courses and then even doing some teaching on spiritual warfare that w that gravitated towards all of that. What was your background? You said it sort of awakened you to this second realm um, and you ended up going into actually teaching spiritual warfare. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I will say that even before Peretti and, and that whole move, I grew up in a Baptist home, which would have been very conservative. However, um, the pastor, there was a pastor, I think he may have even married my parents, but he was sort of the, uh, the, the spiritual powerhouse. And there were stories around exorcisms that he had performed. So even in a conservative home, because of the revivalist thing, we heard these stories about, about exorcism or Baptist deliverance ministry. Then what happened was I got, I went off to college. I got married, um, joined the Mennonite church. And while I was there, that's when I encountered Peretti's stuff. But again, what happened was when the Mennonites encountered things that they thought were demonic, they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to deal with it, but they knew these three guys that would meet once a week and uh, they would make appointments secretly. And so I was aware of these friends of mine who were, who were doing deliverance ministry, casting out demons weekly on a, over, over like a decade or more. And that had to, and, 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 
their clientele were these Mennonites who were having real encounters with some kind of darkness. And so um, I started learning from them and I started practicing things like they were practicing. And when you do it, here, here, here's a principle. The model with which you treat a client for anything, if you're a spiritual authority and they're desperate, they will respond to your model. So, for example, if you treat something as demonic, this desperate client who just wants to be well, who maybe read Peretti's novels, will will respond as if they're demonized. If you shift mm -hmm. to an inner healing model, which mm -hmm. I did eventually, mm -hmm. uh, suddenly the clients are responding um, to the inner healing model. And... And if you use spiritual direction, they respond to spiritual direction. So it's sort of like whatever model you use does bear fruit. The question is, how good is the fruit and how bad is the fruit? And in, and I left the whole deliverance ministry thing because I knew that as long as I treated these things as demons, uh, they would act like demons. And so we'd see crazy things that looked demonic. And, um, and yet that was so traumatizing to the people that were experiencing it. So... On the one hand, they also, they're already full of fear. They're drawn to this as a theology, and they're hoping, oh, just fix me. And if just fix me means you could just cast out my demons and I'd be well and I wouldn't have to take responsibility, <laughs> then, um, then do it, right? And so then we would. And um, um, sometimes with really dramatic effects, but also traumatic effects. And I, I, would have not, I would not have done this, but a lot of deliverance ministers in those days, they'd be like shouting at the people. And so I had a friend who came to me, a wise, wise man. And he just said, I, I, and I, I was now a very charismatic Mennonite. We were connecting with the vineyard, with others who believed in prophetic ministry. And this guy came to me and he said, look, at, um, I believe in angels. I've met angels and but I think God has a message for you. He wants you to stop going through the deliverance and exorcism door. And he wants you to start treating people as, as wounded souls who need a doctor. And if you do that, then your authority in this kind of thing will go through the roof. In other words, in other words, uh, we became way more effective when we abandoned that model and opted for this other model way more effective. We saw more transformation. We saw less trauma. But then we also had people now coming to us who'd been through deliverance ministry who needed healing from that experience. So it's not even like, you know, why are you here? It's like, cause I, because I was so belittled and shouted at and terrorized by the, these, these exorcists. So I'm like, well, that's no good. Um, so I don't want to say nothing was happening. Certainly something was. I'm just more agnostic about what that was and how helpful it was. Wow. Okay. I. This is all a lot. And even just the story of three Mennonites who would meet together weekly to do this. I'm pretty sure you should write a novel about that, Brad. Um, that'd be a good one. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I... <laughs> I have a lot of things I want to say. I do remember going to an inner healing conference in Minneapolis, actually, and it had some ties, I think, to deliverance ministries. And everybody was just talking about it so matter-of-factly, like you have to, you know, verbally command the demons to come out because demons can't read minds. And I just remember everyone around me writing that down in their notebooks, demons can't read minds, and just everybody nodding their heads. And I'm like, okay, okay, we all believe this, I guess, and this is normal. And, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. But 
I kind of wanted to. That meant you couldn't even pray out loud anymore. Did you ever hear that one? Don't pray out loud because then the demons will know that you're up to. Oh, no. I, I wasn't. <laughs> so you pray silent. I mean, it was bonkers. Right. And, I wasn't it, in this world enough. I was just like a toe or two in. And I just thought, you know, I went to a few. Um, who was that guy that just was in Christianity Today? Todd oh. Bent. I went to a Todd Bentley revival. You know what I mean? I, I put it. Oh, I knew Todd. Yeah. Anyways, I want to go back to what you said when you were describing this present darkness in the beginning, when you said it, he almost approached spiritual warfare, like in a pagan way, and where we like the prayers of Christians altered, you know, the power of angels and therefore altered history. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that did or did not play out in your own work with people who are coming to you because they were suffering? Yeah. Um, so, so the the thing about Peretti's novels that also I think infected Deliverance Ministry was it was very angels and demons focused. I if you read the novels now, you go like, where the hell is Jesus? Right. And and all we're doing is we're calling on this non-present Jesus to send power to his angels so that we won't lose, but we always lose. And and I'm like. God with us is is nowhere in sight. Mm -hmm. um, even Stephen King's novel, The Stand, at the end of The Stand, when you've got all these demonic folks uh, gathered in Vegas and you've got all these Christian folks gathered in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and they have a massive head-on collision and, and, and the demonically charged bad guys are going to just utterly crush the Christians, Jesus shows up. And defeats the devil. I mean, this is Stephen King, and Peretti doesn't even have that. So, so like, where is Jesus in this? And where where is it like that's that sense of um, his direct presence with us? And I would say that that even when I did deliverance ministry, I recognized that was hugely pro problematic. So the way we did it was, was we would say we're not going to rush around looking for demons. Here's what we're going to do: we're going to establish your connection with Jesus. Hmm. And then, and, and and we would lead them in an exercise that I still lead people in. That is that in our hearts, open the eyes of your heart to look at, at the living Jesus and, and, the, and the, his loving eyes and the good news that he has for you. Start there. And then my angle was, well, if there's anything demonic here, now it has to come before Jesus hmm. and give account to him. And then I wouldn't even try to, well, initially, initially I would try to interrogate the demons and like, and then some friends just said, why are you talking to demons? They're liars. Just talk to Jesus. I'm like, okay. So, so we made it all about Christ focused. And then what in doing that, then Christ made it, he seemed to assess the issue as wounded souls, not, and if there was anything demonic, whatever that even is, then, um, you know, that would dissolve as, as you dealt with your issues. Mm. So um, there was a, we had, we had this very, uh, it was a life-changing moment for us in some ways around all of these paradigms where I'm sitting with my nine-year-old at the time, Dominic. He's, he's in his twenties now, but he's nine. And he, and he, and he says out of the blue to me, he says, Hey dad, demons aren't fallen angels. And I'm like, what, who told you that? And he said, Jesus, I'm like, when? 
just now. It's like, well, then what are they? Like I completely had bought that whole, and I would, I, we, we need to talk more about this idea of paganizing Christianity with this stuff. Yeah. Um, but he, he said, I don't know. I'm like, well, ask him. So he closes his eyes for about, like literally 20 seconds. And then when he opened his eyes, this is what he said. And it just flowed out of this nine-year-old's mouth who knows very little about anything. He said, Jesus says that demons uh, are created by people out of the ashes of war, the tears of those who are afraid, and the stuff that people want that doesn't belong to them. And then they take on a life of their own and turn on you and torment you. And like, what? <laughs> and I'm telling you, my hair stood oh my on, gosh. on it. <laughs> I know. And, um, and now when I talk to sort of theological experts on this, like Brian Zond or, or uh, Michael Harden and people who've done work on what we call the Satan, Ha Satan, they're like, they, they say, they, or Walter Wink fans and so on, they say they've just never heard an explanation as clear and concise and accurate as that. So for what's going on. And it's a lot more than like alcoholics saying, well, I'm wrestling with my demons. And they mean it metaphorically. And it's like, exactly. Um, but but it's, a, it's a metaphor for a reality. And the reality is that we're bound up in fear and shame and anger and addiction and it and it does it gets bigger than us and it turns on us and holds us in bondage and so we do need deliverance it's just the babylonian backstory of what these being like demonic creatures with with bat wings and and all that it's like that that's really suspect and it's not even biblical yeah i mean i think reading the book this present darkness is like okay this doesn't really match up to what jesus has to say even like Jesus addressing his ministry, what he said he came to do. At the same time, I think looking at, you know, a historic view and even like, you know, I'm friends with a lot of refugees and immigrants from various cultures and, you know, supernatural stuff, um, a reality of that there's things beyond our understanding and somewhat a belief that we can hopefully control some of this in our favor. You know, it kind of exists in so many cultures. And a part of me wonders if Western Christians in particular aren't caught in this really weird bind that Peretti just like kind of hit the nail on the head with this present darkness where we had been taught to say there is none of that going on, you know, like my dad went to seminary in the seventies and he said, you know, he basically got a degree in Christian rationalism. Do you think a part of it, this present darkness being so popular is because a lot of Western Christians had no avenues to talk about the supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And the upside of it is that it made us aware that we are not rationalist scientific materialists. There is more and Peretti flooded that more in with, with this kind of model, but the, um, the word you used before was, was there something pagan about that? And here's why it is. It's well, it does it excludes it excludes Christ from it really, except as an incantation, mm-hmm. with which to control circumstances that we imagine are uh, manipulated by demons. So if we get the right incantation, then we can overpower the things that are causing the trials in our lives. And so in its extreme, you had some um, uh, Pentecostalisms uh, that 
that that believed all all illness, all diseases, all disability is is rooted in in the demonic, and then and then every sin is driven by the demonic, and every every, every uh, dysfunction in our lives, and and it, to the point where. My wife and I joke about these these friends of ours where every time, you know, you slip on ice and they're like, oh, it's the warfare. It's warfare. <laughs> it's like, it's not warfare. It's ice. The real warfare, I think, I think is with our own hearts. And that's in very early in the um, historic Christian church, second century, third century, the desert fathers. They began to understand angelic and demonic um uh, they they felt it was a hell you know it, it was a way of talking about the inner battle of our own souls and so um, in a sense demons demons were a way we talked about our vices and angels were ways we talked about our virtues and how the two are always at war within ourselves well but the issue is ourselves and so and then the way of solving that is through surrender to Christ it's not by running around with a broom and and getting the right the right spells and that's where i feel like the whole thing does paganize christianity so in other words you may in, in trying to drive out all the demons using these great like renunciation prayers you've actually um you have been demonized by a pagan worldview. In other, like you give yourself over to 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 witchcraft, not because there's, you know, not because witches can send crows that will listen to your 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 conversations and bring them off to the coven so they can do curses, which is stuff I heard. Mm-hmm. No, it's that the moment I believe that I've become pagan. <laughs> And and now I'm trying to manipulate circumstances, and I'm trying to um, what what we would have said even when we were still doing deliverance ministry is this is always just a symptom. So let's go to the root of the matter. You know, what are the lies you believe? Um, what are the what are the ways that you are stubborn in your life and defying Christ? What are the ways you know that you're either your religion or your hedonism uh, is opening a door? But we always. But we always then would at least treat the demonic as, as mere symptoms. And once you'd cut off the roots, they'd just disappear. Now we're like, well, whatever demons were. I mean, the Gospels aren't embarrassed to call them that. It's just I, I don't see in the Gospels any affirmation that, they, that the Babylonian backstory that the Jews adopted was really the reality they're describing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was curious. So I'm in the middle of your book that just released in September – in Incarnation and Inclusion, Abba and Lamb. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about in Peretti's books, it's so much about you need to know the right name, right? You need right. to know Jesus. The name. Yeah. Right. The name of Jesus. And, you you know, or you need to plead the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then um, in the beginning of this present darkness, there's a woman that is seeking truth, right? And But she goes seeking to the wrong spiritual powers and yep. gets demonized uh, because she's seeking, I would say like in some sense seeking good. Yeah. Um, but because she uses the wrong name, right? Like, because she doesn't have that, you know, you use the word uniqueness, uh, yep. but the specificity of Jesus, then she's done it all wrong and she's totally screwed. And yeah, people yeah. in the book do that. And then they end up, um, 
you know, killing themselves as a result and, and these kinds of things just by seeking truth in a, in a, you know, Middle Eastern or like new age context. It's, it's wild when you really look at it. Yeah. 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 Well, that was a big thing at the time too, is like new age was so scary. So it's the scary part of it, right? Instead of saying, Oh, you're into the new age. That's awesome. You're seeking God. And, and, and I've, I found practices that help with that. Are you interested in learning them? You know, and you end up leading them to Jesus from, from out of their seeking. Um, this whole thing of names too. One thing that was hilarious was you're like, you can't cast the demon out unless, unless you know its name. And so then you go, okay, what's your name? What's your name? <laughs> and and they're like, I'm not telling you. They're like, wait a minute. This is just Rumpelstiltskin now. <laughs> and um, it was so bizarre. I'm like, where did you hear that we needed to th- know their name? Oh, a demon told us. Okay. <laughs> so you need to know my name or I won't leave. What's your name? I'm not telling you. And I'm like, oh, darn, then he won't leave. And so we were being instructed how to do deliverance ministry by lying spirits or whatever. It was so bizarre. And, um, and of course, the proof text for that was when Jesus asks the Gadarene demoniac what his name is, and he says Legion. Mm-hmm. And I, like, literally think that Jesus was asking the guy his name because <laughs> he wanted to know what level of, you know, how bad is his dementia right now or how bad is this? It's like our name is legion it's like not you what what's your name oh it's bob oh hi bob you know <laughs> so um he's humanizing this guy that's been in chains and hiding in a graveyard and so so controlled anyway um so we had all these rules for deliverance ministry that seemed to be generated out of our own fears and then we loved that. Like, let's, hey, I know, let's not just do deliverance ministry. Let's do it at midnight with candles. <laughs> let's make it even scarier. You know, it was just. Did you do that? I didn't personally okay. do that. <laughs> I was always looking for, I was really open to the, the voice of the Holy Spirit teaching us a better way. And I, th- so, so for me, the progression was you do need to deal with people who are bound up in darkness. Okay. How will we do that? How will we drive out the darkness? Well, we're going to bring them to Jesus. And then and then when we do that, they start talking and then and and the Lord says stop talking to them. You don't have to talk to these things. I feel like when we would talk to them, people would produce the voice themselves and cuz they were so suggestible in their de- in their desperation and and um and it's alarming how similar it can look to hypnosis, you know. So that's why I say if you use that model, it'll you know, they'll respond to that model. And if you say what, you know, listen inside, what, what we're going to ask, what is this demon's name? And you listen, and then they hear a word inside. Let's say their soul suggests, their own mind suggests a word, and then they'll say it. And they're like, aha, we've got you now. (laughs) And so we were making a lot of shit up, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And thinking about Peretti, and I would say just like Christianity in general, especially American Christianity, Um, And actually on our podcast, we've talked a lot about power um, and how Christians try to wield power. When you think about demons um, and the Holy Spirit or Jesus' power over demons uh, in someone's life, 
how would you define that power? Like, how would you define how that, that power works? So if we're talking about, let's say I'm going to use uh, my, my um, addict friends. I go to 12 step recovery groups when I can. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous, you name it, right? And so if we're going to talk about demons, I, I would talk about it that way. So what are your de- tell me about your demons. Well, my demons are shame and my demons are addiction and my demons are compulsive behavior and my demons are – so I'm not talking about literal fallen angels. Mm-hmm. But they have demons mm-hmm. and these demons are that and we don't even – we can call them demons, but we know it's a metaphor for their own issues. And how we approach it is um, is by inviting them. This is step three in the twelve step in twelve step recovery, and you have a lot of people who aren't Christians there. I would say they're not in that Christian subculture, but they are hearing this message that that you cannot overcome your demons through self will. We over, um, in fact, we can't overcome them at all. Only God can. And how do you do that? Well, you surrender your life to the care of a loving, forgiving, caring, responsive, personal God. And through daily surrender to the love of God, your obsessions begin to lift. The exact nature of our disease is self-will. And so surrender is the solution to self-will. And the surrender is to the care of this loving God. And I see that as like far more effective, far more gentle. And in these groups, we see people being treated with dignity and welcomed um, with hospitality. And 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 as long as they live in surrender to the care of a loving God, they they live in in victory over their demons. Mm. So that's... That's the model that I believe is most effective. I want to sit with that surrender word for just a minute, because I think if you grew up evangelical, surrender uh, has this very Billy Graham context. Surrender means uh, living righteously, Mm. right? And so, you know, you have this idea of like, well, you can be saved, right, through living righteously. And I get the sense that's not, um, or, you know, I don't know if living the righteously is the right term, but like, you know, behaving well. Right. So, so behaving well may be the fruit of surrender, but what you're describing, um, that was still rooted in self-will. You need, you need to behave right. And that surrender, well, that's, that's rooted in, 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 um, selfism in a sense it's i mean we would have to be fair we would have said no you surrender to the holy spirit and and the fruit of the spirit bears itself out we knew the words we knew the right words but really we continually slipped into what i call moralism so in my um uh, the other book i came out with this year so one you mentioned was in and there's another one called a more christ-like way and it was the it was the sequel to a more Christ-like God. So in a more Christ-like way, I talk about four counterfeits to the Jesus way. And one of them was moralism. And moralism is when you replace living faith and an orientation towards this loving God with basically uh, uh, performance and behavior. So that's definitely not what I mean by surrender. 
what I mean by surrender um, um, comes from this word metanoia in Greek um, that we've translated that we've translated repentance. And so it used to be repentance was like kind of self-loathing <laughs> and beating yourself up and, and saying, I'll never do it again and turning from your evil deeds. That was repentance to us. And then um, more recently, there's been a reaction to that where, where we've got sort of progressives saying, no, it's not that. Uh, it's just metanoia is a change of mind. So it's having a new, a new way of thinking about this. I'm like, no, no, that's not it either. You just went from one bad ditch to the other. Metanoia in the biblical sense is orienting your your life, orienting your heart to the overtures of divine love. And, and so the Bible uses, um, the pictures it uses for the love of God are, are, are light. And so it's like I, I, my heart turns towards the light. And when my heart turns towards the light and the eyes of my heart see the beauty of Christ. I'm captivated by his love. And that then maybe I'll, of course I'll live differently, but the goal wasn't to live differently. The goal was to orient myself towards this healing love that, that treats my deepest wounds and, and meets my deepest needs. And, and as the love of God does that, it's sort of like coming to the banqueting table and I get full. And then someone says, well, would you like to go eat some crap now? It's like, of course I wouldn't. I'm full of good things. How did that happen? Oh, I came to his table. I came to the father's house. So, so you know, we've got the prodigal son story being a good example of, of true repentance and true surrender. Um, and it's not about trying in fact, on that analogy, I like to use one of my favorite things in the world is massages. I like to get a, a, a massage. Um, and I don't try hard, <laughs> but I absolutely surrender, right? In fact, the last time I got one, I was in an airport on those chair massage things. And, and this this older black woman was working my shoulders and she says, stop fighting me. <laughs> and I'm like, what? She goes, you're fighting me. Just surrender. And I'm like, oh. And I drop my shoulders. And oh, she goes, that's better. Now we're working together, right? And I, I just see surrender to that kind of care at a divine level being much preferable to the, the moralism you were suspecting, you know, you were hearing back in the day. Yeah, and I think that most <laughs> of our listeners will have sort of a moralistic response to, to some of the phrases you're using, but I just love how you unpack them and really do draw us into the love of God. And I wonder, like, how would you sum up Peretti's worldview? Moralism, legalism? Um, you know, I don't want... I don't in the really... book, you don't have to talk about him as like a person. This is a work of fiction. Yeah, okay. I don't even know if he wanted it to be like a spiritual warfare manual that it became but right right let's be fair to him is, right yeah, yeah what worldview is presented in this book the worldview of the book i i would call it um christian witchcraft <laughs> <laughs> here's the problem though you know like i know witches <laughs> and or or pagans i want to say like it's it's a it's it's a pagan a pagan charismania yeah um but but see like I'm using witchcraft and pagan as a pejorative and even that's still playing into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
so you know i'm not a i'm not a fan of witchcraft and pagan practice but i'm also not just saying that as it's it's bad because it's that i'm saying right. no let's look at what what are the what are the dysfunctions in Chris, charismatic christianity what are the function dysfunctions in in uh, neo-paganism um what's the fruit that comes from these practices like actually look at them and talk to the people you know uh, i yeah i just want to say i really love that parallel of looking at uh you know the the exorcism sort of um driving something out uh with this dominant power um you know deliverance ministry compared with like relaxing into the love of god right so surrender doesn't how do you the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of this world. So what Peretti did was he said, our, our weapons are not through physical force. They're through spiritual force. What I'm saying is the weapons of the world are force. And that's not how Jesus came and overcame every, everything. Yeah. He came through surrender to the will of his father and self-emptying love. So that even applying force into the spiritual realms is still, you're still in the, you still got the wrong kingdom in my mind then. Yeah. Something that I think is just, we just want to throw it out. We don't want to think about like, yeah, God, there is the, the Holy Spirit does have power, but the power is substantively different. It's cruciform. It's right. the power of love. And that means like not a love, love doesn't force itself on people. What? powerful love is simply speaking of it doesn't give up it's unfailing love it's it's mercy that endures forever and it's forgiveness it's just uh radical even to the point of death that's the power in it um and and there's there's nothing in this about like you know what, what does paul say uh, overcome evil with good so like how do you overcome human enemies it's like you feed them you make hospitals for them. You you love bomb them with water treatment plants, and you know, um, and that might sound naive, but I'll tell you what's really naive: <laughs> uh, thinking that trillions of dollars of weapons is going to defeat hatred. <laughs> like that's just that's so ludicrous and naive and utterly dangerous, and we haven't even really tried the Jesus way yet. And that's why I believe, you know, in the end, I believe that, that God's gonna, uh, um, I believe in ultimate redemption. Uh, I think he's going to restore all things. I believe in that, but I also believe that this idea of the way of, of self-giving love, radical forgiveness, co-suffering, loving your enemy, um, that that's the narrow way Jesus was talking about. And very few people find it. Very few Christians are interested in it. We might get the right name, but have we if we don't believe Jesus about that stuff? We believe yeah. in him by saying a magic prayer. But, may, but do we believe him in the sense of pick up your cross, lay down your sword and pick up your cross. Lay down your hatred and pick up forgiveness and follow me. And if you don't follow me, you'll blow the you know things to smithereens. And so we have. Yeah, and I think just going back to, you know, why are we doing a podcast about this weird book by Frank Peretti? <laughs> but I think it's because I have a, a passion within me to say, 
if if we're going to be all in on this Jesus thing, like it can't just look like the world, but with the phrase, the blood of Jesus sprinkled in there, you know, it yes. doesn't, doesn't actually change anything. And if I really believe this, I am not guaranteed a life free of sickness or even addiction or death or pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not guaranteed control over suffering of myself or others. What am I guaranteed? I am guaranteed a relationship with a God who actually might love me, you know? And and that is like remarkably absent from these books. And they are were such a huge hit and continue to be such a huge hit. That's why we're talking about them is because they sold ten tens of millions of copies because people long to have a sense that they're in control. Yeah. And we and it's easier to fight in the terms of the world, even as people who are you know, raised in a Christian background. So coming full circle, looking at the news right today, we see Christians longing for power, longing to fight the world on its own terms and longing for safety. And I think it's completely corrupted us from experiencing God and the way of Jesus. Yeah. I want to say something really redemptive now. What if, what if instead of seeing Peretti's novels as, 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 as something that infected Christianity for the worse. What if we saw his novels as a step up on the way towards where we're at now? In other words, like um, when I read them, I would say I was a Perettiite <laughs> in, that, in that I bought in that this is actually the right worldview. And that's a stage of my Christian growth that I, and I couldn't get to where I am today without walking through that step. So I don't affirm that what happened in that step, other than to say it was part of the journey and we don't have to be embarrassed about the embarrassing parts of our journey. If we could just say, maybe, I don't know, but maybe, maybe those novels were a step forward into into something better, I don't know. But at least when we leave them behind, I don't have to despise him or the fact that I enjoyed them. I just have to say, that's not who I am anymore. And maybe in some strange way, um, he took me from materialism into kind of a spiritualism that ultimately led me out of deliverance into inner healing work and recovery ministry. And, And so that's kind of good. Um, and I feel like maybe for all of us, we have things we used to believe that we're embarrassed in, but now we don't. And, but maybe that's our story is okay. And even the weird, funny parts of our story are okay. Does that make sense? Oh, I love it. Thank you. And I, I think a lot of us who have some experience in the charismatic, um, there's actually really few places to be able to process the weirdness without, saying, I don't believe any of it anymore, yep. you know? Yep. So, um, I don't know. I just, I've really enjoyed getting to talk to a few people for this series in particular and just say weird stuff has happened to us. We don't know what it means. If there's one thing we are becoming more sure of, it's, um, about the love of God. And that sometimes looks, yeah, it's, it's changing us and making me a little bit more quieter and softer than I, I used to be as well. Yeah, and so you said you you kind of consider yourself an agnostic when it comes to demons. <laughs> yeah, what I mean by that, that, yeah, what I mean by that is that 
agnostic just means I don't know everything. I, I'm not I'm not as smart as I used to be. I don't have it all nailed down anymore. And so it could be this or it could be that. I'm not I'm not an agnostic concerning darkness. I'm I'm not an agnostic. <laughs> I like I know that there's evil in the world. What I'm agnostic about is the the exact nature and and of that. And um one one area where I think we need to be way more agnostic is on like even our whole doctrine of Satan and the demons as fallen angels, as if like all of this happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. We call it the gap theory. But that's not... So So what I was raised on was like you had all these perfect angelic beings and then they rebelled and then they fell from heaven and then they did all this bad stuff in the world. Okay, now Genesis 1 verse 2. All of that was made up. And then we found proof texts that weren't even about that later in the Bible. I think then, how did sin enter the world? We would have said through through Lucifer deceiving Adam. What Paul says is through one man sin entered the world. So that makes me think we were way too positive about the whole the, the whole back, Lucifer backstory. There's very very little biblical to me it, it's an effort to remove accountability and responsibility for the darkness in the world um from us mm. and i think mm. that the devil would be like if you imagine satan being what we thought he was he'd be he'd he would just say i didn't come up with that i'm people are way worse than i am <laughs> you guys are crazy used to be as well okay crispin you have something yeah, no, I was just going to say, I just really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and give, yeah, just this, um, like, long view of your story and being on these different places and especially being able to to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but to look at, like, ah, obviously people do need deliverance. People are suffering. Um, and, yeah, talk about what that looks like. Yeah. Can I can I ask one question? Yeah. Do you do you have a book in particular that you would recommend for listeners to check out of yours that does sort of talk more about these issues of encountering God and even you you know you keep mentioning inner healing which I'm not sure everybody is familiar with but do you have anything where you've addressed that? Yeah, my first book is called Can You Hear Me? Tuning Into the God Who Speaks and it was really about how all Christians not just charismatics have the privilege of knowing a God who speaks and that we can learn to discern that voice from the other voices without weirdness. And uh, chapter five in that book is, is really, I mean, it's some of it's just practical questions. We hear a lot. How do I know if it's God's voice or the enemy's voice? How do I know if it's God's voice or my imagination? How do I discern? Well, it's like, guess what you can. And so we talk about how we discern the voice of God from just the voice of our own, um, uh, souls or or the counterfeit voices that flood our lives, and then and then I have thirty three prayer exercises in there for practicing our listening, and especially then in chapter five we talk about the meeting place of your heart where prayer becomes a real meeting with a living friend and that you are in dialogue with with the friend who's who, who's in you, and then the last chapter of the book is how we applied that. Um, 
with, with to the whole world of of uh, people with broken hearts and and some of the quite dramatic um, transformations we saw basically by listening to the voice of Jesus around those. But it, and and so, can you hear me? Is on Amazon and in and a more Christ-like way and a more Christ-like God. They're all on Amazon if people want to find them. But that one I found uh, especially helpful for people who would say, who who don't want to just believe in Jesus as an idea, but they want to have real encounters um, without becoming kooky. And so, because <laughs> you know all the charismatic weirdness, it's worse than you think. Um, but, yeah. but, uh, oh, yeah. but it's not you like the metaphor, um, Crispin used was throwing the baby out with the bathwater, the biblical, one of the biblical metaphors, there's a couple really helpful ones. One is, um, don't, don't pull out the wheat while you're going, getting too aggressive with the weeds. And another is we, you know, those of us who love Christ, we have a wedding garment and yes, we stain it. Well, let's watch, wash the stains out of our wedding garment instead of dumping it in the trash and walking away from the bridegroom, which so many people are doing now. Well, yeah. well I think we're done. Is there anything else that you would like to say? Have a, There's so much to talk about. It's just, yeah. Have a great decade. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, as you work through your stuff, I hope your listeners will understand that they can, they can leave a lot of stuff behind, but they don't have to move on from Jesus. He's still with them and he still loves them. And he still gets that we're just like, little kids sorting it out and he doesn't he's not mad at us about that he just loves us so there you go 